So uh, the, the second part of Amos that you need to be aware of provides us with a number of visions. And these are found in chapters 7 through 9. And for the competency exam, uh, you do need to recognize these visions. I mean, that's one of uh, some of the questions, a couple of the questions. I'm not guaranteeing it'll be on your competency exam. By the way, uh, I, I, are you aware that there are three different exams? Okay, 100 points each from a pool of 300 questions. Okay, so I'm covering all 300 questions. I'm going to make you aware of those, but that doesn't mean that. Uh, you know, it will necessarily fall on your exam. Okay, but we're we're covering our bases here uh, with this. So, uh, essentially, Amos provides us with five visions here in these three chapters. The first one is of a plague of locusts, and uh, in the ancient world, in the Middle East, the Near East, um, much of the world. Um, locusts, grasshoppers, could be a devastating plague. Okay. And uh, even today in Africa, uh, this is the case. I grew up in central Nebraska, and uh, I remember as a little kid um, going and visiting uh, a nearby neighbor, elderly couple who were kind of like adopted grandparents to us. And uh, they would tell us stories. Um, and uh, they remembered as kids uh, back to the, the latter 19th century, the late 1800s and early 1900s in Nebraska out on the farm. And uh, one of the stories that they told of was of a, um, a, a huge locust uh, invasion. Uh, and uh, the, the man was describing how when he was a kid, he, they, they saw this big dark cloud coming their way, uh, low on the horizon. And uh, what was this? Well, it turned out to be the, the grasshoppers, just an invasion of grasshoppers. And they said they ate everything. They ate all the leaves, everything that's green, uh, even ate, nibbled, chewed some of the bark off the trees. They had fabrics like laundry hanging on the uh, lines. Uh, they ate the laundry, the fab fabric. It was just very devastating. Uh, so this is an image that uh, Amos here uses, that just as you have an invasion of locusts who devastate the land, so there will come an invasion of people, foreign land, who will devastate the land of Israel. Okay, um, and by the way, this is also uh, brings to memory the plague upon Egypt. Okay, the plague of locusts upon Egypt. So just as God acted against that idolatrous nation to deliver His people, now God is acting upon these people who He delivered, who have become idolatrous, with the same kind of plague. The second vision is that of a great fire, a great conflagration that uh, befalls um, the people and 
consumes the people. And uh, this is clearly an allusion back to Sodom and Gomorrah, that uh, the people of Israel have become as apostate as the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and as vile. And so God's judgment will befall them. A third vision uses a plumb line. Okay, And if any of you are carpenters or construction workers, you know what a plumb line is here. Simply a weight on a string. And uh, you use it to make sure that the wall, or if you're a mason, uh, not in the terms of the like Freemason, but <laughs> someone who actually builds you know, things out of bricks and stone and so forth, you use a plumb line to make sure that the wall is straight. Okay, uh, Because if it's set off from that complete vertical perpendicular from the ground, uh, the risk is that the wall will fall. And so the image here, or the picture here from the vision, is that God takes a plumb line and holds it up next to a wall which represents Israel. And the wall is crooked. And that's saying here that you are crooked. <laughs> and uh, uh, the wall must collapse, and the wall will collapse because it will not be able to be supported. So it's that word of judgment. The fourth vision is a basket of ripe fruit, of ripe fruit. And a play on words is used here. Kayetz is the word for ripe fruit. Okay, But another word is used here. And it's very, very similar, and, and the consonants will be very similar. Tets, which is end. Okay? And so the message here is that Israel, like this ba basket of ripe fruit, is ripe for judgment. And that judgment will bring about Israel's end, that the end is near. So you can almost think of Amos here, like one of those stereotypic cartoon uh, prophets of doom carrying the placard that says, the end is near. Uh, this is what that vision is essentially saying here. Okay. And uh, the fifth vision is that of the shrine at Bethel simply collapsing in. And the stones and the beams crush the worshipers within it. So all those who are seeking sanctuary, seeking um, their hope in this shrine, will be crushed and destroyed there. So these are the images that, that we have in the book of Amos, those five visions. Amos is predominantly, using our Lutheran categories of law and gospel, predominantly law, predominantly judgment, uh, announcement of the curse of the covenant, as those visions clearly 
play out. But there is also hope and there's also promise, promise of restoration. And uh, we see this throughout the book of Amos here and there, a little um, snippet of gospel hope. But it ends with a hopeful message, a message of God's restoration. So take a look at that um, in chapter 9, beginning with verse 11. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen. Okay, the booth, it's kind of like a, a housing unit here. So it's really talking about the house of David. It's the dynasty of David, referring to that Davidic covenant that God made with David through Nathan. You know, I will build you a house, a dynasty. Well, that house, that dynasty is going to collapse with the judgment, but God will restore it. And of course, this takes place with the southern kingdom because that's where the, the house of David is, dynasty of David, with the exile. And God restores it with the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who is of the line of David. Okay, So in that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. So it's, it's talking about here a restoration of the people back to the land, but possessing all of the nations. Okay? And all of the nations called by my name. So he's looking now to a bigger um, uh, vision of God's covenant, including all the nations. And of course, this is fulfilled in Jesus and uh, the Great Commission going forth to all the nations. Verse 13, Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. Okay? So uh, what this is saying here is um, the treader of grapes before him who sows the seed. Even before you can get the seed sown, it's grown and produced a harvest. <laughs> so the picture here is almost like two farmers. One's got a tractor with seed planter, and right behind it is the combine with the harvester. It's going to be so productive. Now this is obviously picturesque language, symbolic language of the coming Edenic, that is the Eden-like paradise of the new heaven and the new earth. Edom is the land of the Edomites. Okay, uh, Edom was another name for Esau, if you remember. So the Edomites were kind of down there southeast of the Dead Sea in that territory. Okay. So, I guess I just, I don't understand why it mentions the remnant of Edom specifically. I mean, what was so, is there something special about them, the Edomites? They weren't? No, I think that this Edom here is just kind of representative of foreign nations. Oftentimes that will be the case, particularly the Edomites and the Ammonites are just kind of the representative 
poor nation because they're their neighbors here. So it's just speaking of, of Edom as just one example, but it's much more than that. It's all the nations who are called by my name. Okay. So, um, and then verse 14, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities that inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says Yahweh your God. And this is a much, much more expansive picture of the land. Notice it's all nations, and it's a new Eden. And so this is how we understand now the covenant with Abraham being fulfilled of the promise of the land, and and we see it very clearly articulated in the New Testament, but even here in the Old Testament now with the prophetic writings, that the ultimate fulfillment is the new heaven and the new earth that comes about, um, we would say, in the day of resurrection of all flesh, when Christ comes and uh, uh, restores the kingdom fully. So, uh, Amos, although it's predominantly law, there is also gospel here and great gospel promises. Any questions or comments about Amos? Okay, well, let's be, continue then with Hosea. Hosea, turn in your Bibles to Hosea, the first in our English ordering, first of the minor prophets. So right after Daniel comes Hosea. Hosea differs from Amos in that Amos was predominantly law with a little bit of gospel. Hosea really is predominantly gospel with a lesser amount of law, okay? Uh, So it's amazing that God would speak to such an apostate people still with words of great grace and mercy and compassion and hope. And he does so here through the prophet Hosea. And a major concept here in Hosea is chesed. Um, The Hebrew has a a letter uh, which some would translate as a, or transliterate as a H, or you could even look at it as a CH, kind of like when we talk about Christ, okay, with that uh, hard, rough sound to it, chesed. And chesed means loving kindness. And it is a significant covenant term. And uh, so the prophet Hosea here will speak very much in terms of the covenant, but utilizing a, a very distinctive and wonderful image for this, and that is the image of marriage. Okay? So, now Hosea ministers also obviously in the 8th century to the northern kingdom. He is from the northern kingdom. Okay. 
And so he is the only literary prophet from the northern kingdom. Now, Amos was a literary prophet to the northern kingdom that he was from the south. Hosea is the only literary prophet from the north, and he speaks to the people of the north as well. A little bit later after Amos, though. Okay, So you've got Amos up here and Hosea down here. And believe me, times have changed from what they were under Amos. During the reign of Jeroboam II, things were very, very good. Let the good times roll. Okay, uh, Lots of prosperity um, and, and wealth and power. Things are becoming unraveled at this time under Hosea's reign, uh, under Hosea's ministry uh, during the reigns of these kings. Well, you can see that there is a succession of kings quick succession okay, of kings here. Uh, you've got six kings in 14 years, and uh, many of them assassinated. So uh, what you've got here is the king. There's a dagger, bloody dagger in his hand. He's just assumed the rule because of assassination. But there's someone in the flanks ready to assassinate him and another guy ready to assassinate him. A time of extreme instability, political instability. And this carries on then with the rest of the society. The society has become extremely violent. A lot of anarchy, a lot of panic. Order has collapsed here and there's social chaos uh, because uh, a nation that does not ground itself in the ways of the Lord will eventually collapse, will eventually fall apart. And that's especially true of this nation, which was in covenant with the Lord. Well, there's all this unrest and chaos and anarchy, but Hosea gets to the core, what's behind it. And what's behind it is Israel's apostasy and unfaithfulness to Yahweh and the covenant. Okay? And the covenant is communicated here in this book in the context or with the uh, metaphor of marriage, the marriage covenant, in a very dramatic way. Hosea is um, one of the first prophets here that we see where God uses not simply words to communicate, but actions as well. We'll see this with a number of the prophets that will follow, but uh, actually the prophet acts out a message for people to see, a kind of drama for people to see. And uh, this is really a very, very extraordinary drama that Hosea acts out. And he's not just play acting, this is his real life, okay? And it begins in chapter 1, beginning with verse 2. Hosea chapter 1, beginning with verse 2. When Yahweh first spoke through Hosea, Yahweh said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. 
So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Okay. So uh, what you have here is um, uh, the image of the covenant, which is broken, and God communicates that through the metaphor of marriage. Just as the relationship, the binding love relationship between husband and wife is a covenant, so God's relationship with his people is a covenant like marriage. And so here, once again, we see this analogy that originally we uh, became familiar with in Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, where Yahweh is the husband or the bridegroom, Israel is the wife, the bride, and they are in this covenant relationship with one another. But the message here is that that covenant relationship, that covenant marriage has been broken because the wife has become unfaithful. Israel has become unfaithful and gone a-whoring after other suitors, other gods, idols, and so forth. So that's what's behind here, the broken covenant marriage. So the Lord says, Hosea, I want you to go out and be a living demonstration of what I'm experiencing. Just as I married Israel, but Israel now has become like a prostitute, an unfaithful wife to me, going out and having um, illicit relations with every Johnny-come-lately, every Tom, Dick, and Harry. So Israel has gone forth and adulterated itself with every god or goddess around. I was just, uh, it's just interesting as you were reading that, and the Hebrew kind of works a little bit different. And it says that, uh, uh, surely goes whoring the land away from Yahweh. And it said, I, I, to me, it sounds like what he's saying is that the people of Israel have been selling the land to, you know, pouring the land out to these different, uh, these different peoples and these different religions, and they're taking the plunder without giving anything to Yahweh. Okay, what verse is that again? Oh, that's the same verse, actually, that we just read, 2 through 3, 2, verse 2. Okay, okay. So the, the latter part there that was translated right. here in the ESV, for the land commits great whoredom right. by forsaking the Lord. Okay, and what, uh, as you're looking at it, what is it saying? It says, for surely uh, the land uh, goes pouring away from Yahweh. Okay, okay. And I think that that's why, again, here it says land commits great whoredom. Um, I think in this sense, the people are tied together with the land. So there's the land in one sense is amoral, okay? Although it is the inheritance and it's the gift of the Lord to, to the people that they can lose for their unfaithfulness. So the land here, though, is kind of a, used synonymously for the people who dwell in the land that they are going whoring after other gods and being unfaithful. But, that is, but I think there's also an association with the land that's polluting the land. 
And this is oftentimes the kind of language that we see with the covenant, that uh, uh, the people's sin pollutes the land. And so as the people are unclean and unfaithful and whoring after other gods, so the land becomes unclean and unfaithful. And that's why the land must expel the unclean, unfaithful people out. So that's how I would see it. I haven't done a, a detailed study of the, the Hebrew here, though. So, But uh, thanks for identifying that connection there. I think that's a helpful one. Okay? But again, just picture here, God is saying to Hosea, go marry a prostitute. And this will be an object lesson for people to see what they are doing to me. The woman he marries is Gomer, and they have a child, okay? They actually have three children, okay? So this is Gomer. They have three children. One, the first one is Jezreel, okay? And uh, the word Jezreel, the name means God sows or God scatters, like sowing seed, scattering seed. Uh, the immediate reason for the name, as described there in verses 4 and following, is because of the bloodshed that took place in Jezreel um, and the judgment upon the house of Jehu, who you remember was the one who exterminated the line of Ahab, killed Jezebel, but Jehu then fell away. And so the message here is, you know, we just, we, we try to start over with you, Israel. Jehu was a great example, but soon enough you fall away, just like he did. And you start worshiping other gods and the bloodshed that's associated with that. Okay? So it's associated with that. But the name probably also has some significance because of the name meaning uh, God scatters. And it's kind of a forewarning of the scattering that God will bring the judgment upon the people. And that scattering will come through the Assyrians. Um, so so they, they come into the picture here as well. Okay, so... Um, from the um, marriage here of Hosea and Gomer, they have one child, Jezreel. Okay? Uh, but then there are also two others, Lo Ruhama, the little girl, and that name means not pitied. Okay? You might want to take note of these for children that you might have in the future uh, to name <laughs> Lo Ruhama. Okay, no, please don't. Yes, uh-huh, right, right. And another little boy named Lo Ami. Lo Ami, okay. And um, there's some evidence as well, I didn't note the precise passage, though, that the latter two, Ro Ruhama and Lo Ami, are not even Hosea's children because the Lord refers to them as children of adultery. So Gomer's still out running around? Gomer's still out running around. Oh. Yeah. 
And so the message here is, I mean, the text does say, and again, I'm sorry I didn't note it where it's at here, that they are children of adultery here. Um, that these are the outcomes, the results of being unfaithful. This is what is produced. These children, these offspring, not pitied, not my people. And so the message here to Israel is that because you have gone a whoring after other gods, that you have not been faithful to your husband Yahweh, the result of this, the offspring of this, is that you will no longer be pitied, not be shown the mercy of the Lord. And you will no longer be called my people. You are forfeiting that right. Forfeiting the covenant mercy, the chesed, you are forfeiting the, the right to be his people, his covenant people. That's the message here. Well, Hosea continues to tolerate Gomer's continued adulteries. She frequents the red light district frequently. Um, Hosea is the one who takes care of the kids, uh, even the illegitimate ones, if that's in fact the case. And um, after a while, she simply deserts them all. And she deserts him. And it's essentially a divorce. And Hosea divorces her. And the prophecy connects this then to the judgment in 721 of the Assyrians coming. And uh, here's a friendly neighborhood Assyrian soldier that uh, comes to bring the judgment. And uh, he's the one who enforces now the divorce with Yahweh. The Assyrian will do that. And yet the hope here, and there's great gospel here, is the message that God hasn't given up on the people who have forsaken him, who have adulterated against him. Um, that he still seeks them out. And so Yahweh tells Hosea, after all this, now go find Gomer again and bring her back into your household. And so Hosea goes out seeking in the bars and the brothels, trying to find, do you, have you seen this woman? Goes by the name of Gomer. That's what she looked like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you mean she's that young? Oh, she doesn't look that young. She's really uh, lost her attractiveness. I mean, she's, she's aged prematurely. And eventually, Hosea is able to track her down, and she's a slave, a prostitute slave owned by a pimp. And uh, he purchases her back for 15 uh, pieces of silver okay, from slavery, purchases her, uh, purchases her back. Okay? And uh, here you've got Hosea, who is the epitome of decency, but he gives her dignity and takes her shame upon himself in this. Uh, take a look at chapter 2 beginning with verse 16. 
And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, for no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things on the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and the war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you. Again, just look at all the marriage language here. He's speaking now of, of what God is going to do to faithless Israel. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and steadfast love. That's this chesed, steadfast love, loving kindness. That will not fail. And in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know Yahweh. In that day, I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow for her, there's that imagery of sowing, Jezreel sowing now, now had been used in a context of judgment earlier, scattering, now sowing, context association with good news, restoration, life. I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. So God's tenacious, loving kindness, his chesed will not give up. And he says, the day will come where you will be restored, just like Gomer was restored to Hosea, not by Gomer's initiative. The husband went out and sought the wife and purchased her from prostitution slavery. Yahweh will go out and rescue and restore his people. And what had been before, lo Ruhama, not pitied, now will be shown pity. And what had been at one time, lo, ami, not my people, now will be my people. He's promising a new marriage, a new covenant. So now we begin to hear references to new covenant, another covenant, a new covenant, um, which, which the prophets will speak of. And this new covenant is the one that very clearly is associated with the coming of Messiah and the messianic age and the messianic kingdom. And so it's Jesus who, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, took the cup, and said, this is my blood of the what? New covenant. And the book of Hebrews then very clearly speaks of Jesus now as the one who has brought and ratified the new covenant. Okay. And so the fulfillment of this promise ultimately comes in Jesus. The nation of Israel, the ten tribes, will be scattered. Jezreel. Okay. God will scatter them. And they will not come back as pure tribes. They will be scattered throughout the territory of the Assyrian Empire. They will intermarry. People from the empire will be brought into this land. 
they will intermarry, and so the ten tribes will essentially become Gentiles. So how will they be restored? As Gentiles, through the covenant established by Messiah. That's how they will be restored. And to clinch this, turn in the New Testament to 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. Here we have the Apostle Peter writing to people in Asia Minor, some Jews, but mostly Gentiles. <laughs> By the way, Asia Minor was included in the Assyrian Empire. Okay, centuries before, but now later, Asia Minor here is what at one time had been part of the Assyrian Empire. But it's, he's speaking here to Jews and Gentiles. And look at what he says in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's rich in Old Testament language. And he's directing it to Gentiles, all because of Christ that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay? He's the one who came seeking after you in the darkness. <laughs> Just like Hosea sought after Gomer. Once you were not a people, lo ami. You were once lo ami, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, you were low Ruhama, but now you have received mercy. So the ultimate fulfillment now is in the new covenant, the new marriage between Christ, the bridegroom, and his bride, the church, but the church is made up of Jews and Gentiles. And so they are brought back. This, this prophecy of Hosea is fulfilled in the mission to the Gentiles of the early church. And it's still being fulfilled today as God uses us as his instruments, his mouthpieces, if you will, to bring the message of chesed, his loving kindness, throughout the world. So, uh, that's as far as we'll go here now. Um, We'll take a break. Uh, let's have a 15-minute break. We'll return at 2.30, and then we'll take a look at the prophets to the southern kingdom and to the foreign nations.